We are in the last, the last day, last Sunday of this amazing series that we've been part of in the book of Ephesians. And I, and I have to be, I can be honest with you, I have absolutely loved this series that we have been in. This is probably one of my most favorite series that we have ever done here at this church. And uh, if you've missed any of this, I hope that you'll, you'll go back and, and uh, pick up on some of it. It's all online. And, and some of you may have noticed that we actually skipped over a few passages of Scripture. Some of this we're going to be doing in the future series that we have coming up. As well as, there's one particular one in marriage that we're going to, I did a couple years ago. Uh, maybe, we may have done that together. And we're going to try to put that online for you just so that you can go back and, uh, and, and it talks about the role of a husband and wife in marriage. So you'll, you'll be able to pick up on that. But when you read the book of Ephesians, you realize that God just does this masterful job of speaking through the Apostle Paul just to describe in the very first part of the book to describe this wonderful riches that we have in our relationship with Christ Jesus. And then when you get into chapter 4, into chapter 6, you realize he's now talking about how do I take this knowledge and then walk it out in the Christian life. And then we get into the end of chapter 6, which is where we were last week. And Paul says, now that we have all of this information... Stand firm, because, because we're getting ready to go into a battle. Matter of fact, he says, we're getting ready for spiritual warfare. Now, last week we used this definition from one of my favorite authors and, and pastors, Tony Evans, and he said, spiritual warfare is an ongoing conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest, played out in the visible physical realm. And last week we looked at what, what Ephesians had to say about our enemy. And we realized, and maybe some of you real, may realize this for the, for the first time, my enemy's not my husband, it's not my wife, it's not my co-worker, it's not my neighbor, it's not my mother-in-law. That's not your enemy, okay? Our enemy is Satan and his demonic forces. And we talked about how uh, the, the impact that this war is having on your family and, and how, how we talked about your ability to fight in the midst of this war and who is actually fighting on your behalf. And we talked about the, this, this array of weapons that are at our disposal that allow us, enable us to stand firm against our enemy's daily assaults. And hopefully over this past week, you, you did what the Bible encouraged you to do. You resisted the advances of the enemy. You stood firm in the battle and you fought from a place of victory instead of fighting for victory. And that's so important that we need to remember that, that as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. The, the victory's already been won. We just fight from it. So, and, and with that said, you also learn how to put on the belt of truth, how to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Hopefully you, you were fitted with the gospel shoes of, of peace and, and you, you learned how to do that this, piece, this past week. And hopefully you, you put on the, the helmet of salvation and, and, the, and the shield of faith and the, and, and the breastplate. Or you carried uh, in your hand the, the sword of the Spirit, which is, which is the Word of God. And I'm sure that some of you, as you went through the week, you look back and you go, man, I scored some big victories this past week. God was with me and he was powerful in my life and I could feel his presence. And man, I just, I overcame some things that I haven't been able to overcome in so long. But maybe for some of you, you left here last week feeling victorious, but you got kicked around a little bit last week. And as you walked out victorious last week, you crawled in here feeling a bit defeated and maybe a little bit humbled. And listen, I want you to know that happens to me. 
That happens to all of us. It happens to Amy. It happens to, to our staff. It happens to our elders. And you're just going to have weeks where that just happens to you. But here's what we have to remember from last week. What we've been called to do in the midst of this battle is to stay strong, is to stand firm. Well, as we close the series out this morning, Amy and I have one more weapon that we want to share with you. And really, it's the ultimate weapon. And I love this topic that we're going to talk about today. Because this is probably uh, the most powerful weapon that you have in your arsenal. And yet, it's, it's the most probably misunderstood, probably the most misused, and maybe the most underused weapon that we actually possess. To be honest, the use of this weapon could be the very difference between victory or defeat in the battles that we face every single week. It's the one weapon that you possess as a follower of Jesus Christ that I believe Satan fears the most. You say, what is this weapon? The ultimate weapon that you have is prayer. That's your weapon. Now, the reason why prayer is so potent is because it provides us with spiritual protection even when the battle is at its hottest. Prayer is the ground on which we stand firm. I want to share a story that, that Tony Evans shares uh, in, in a book called The Battle is the Lord's. He talks about this pioneer father and his son, and he says prayer is like a, a pioneer father and his son who were trying to outrun a prairie fire in their wagon. The wind, wind, wind swept, swept flames were, were moving so fast that the father realized we just cannot run this fire any longer. So uh, they, they decided we've got to take a stand and we've got to fight this. And so the father stopped the wagon and he jumped out and he quickly dug a, a shallow trench around, uh, the, uh, around a large circular area and then he set the grass on fire in that whole area. And when it had burned off, the man and his son stepped inside that circle. And as the raging fire began to approach them, the boy became so afraid. And he said, Dad, we have, we, we've got to get out of here. We've got to, we've got to run. We've got to flee this circle. But the father replied, no, son... We need to stand right here. We need to stand firm. We need to stand still. And the the son said, but but dad, the the fire is coming. And the dad said, trust me, son, stand still. The fire is going to go around us. It won't touch us because this area has already been burned once. Listen, I want you to know that Jesus Christ was burned once and for all on the cross. And when you stand in him, Satan's fires cannot reach you. But too often, we want to try to outrun the fire. We want to run away. And God says, listen, no, no, no. I don't want you to run away. I want you to stand firm. Prayer helps us to make that stand. It's the ground upon which we stand, in which we stand firm. It gives us the protection from the flames. It is the ultimate weapon to help us stand firm. So how are we supposed to do this? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18... We're going to see this, and we're just going to work almost word by word through this verse. And it says this, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In this verse, Paul lays out the plan for how we are to use this incredible weapon. And Amy's going to tell you about number one. 
So how do we prepare ourselves? Well, the Bible gives us the answers for how we really put on that armor and really activate its power in our lives. Now, Paul uses the phrase, with all prayer. And the word with is a significant word because it's a connecting word, and it's going to connect the discussion of prayer with what Brian talked about last week, the armor of God. Now, using this connecting phrase, with all prayer, um, Paul's saying that the only way that we're going to really activate the authority that we've been given in Christ and really make the armor of God a powerful tool in our lives is by staying in constant contact or communication with our commander, and that's Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? That's through prayer. Well, I don't know a whole lot about military warfare, but I have heard it said that if you, if what we really need to do first is establish superiority in the air. Whoever controls the air usually controls the war. And when you control the air, you have fewer casualties on the ground. Well, the same is true in the heavenly realms, and establishing superiority in the heavens happens for us with prayer. So Paul mentions, um, speaking of different kinds of prayer in the Bible, and the Bible talks to us about five particular kinds. So I'm just going to quickly run through five kinds of prayer, all right? The first one is confession. And this is such a, a great gift that we've been given, to confess our sins to God because they've already been paid for right? We can come straight to him and we can say, God, I did this and I'm sorry. And he goes, you're forgiven, already paid for on the cross. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just, and he's going to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is this great opportunity that we have just to keep our relationship with God just this fresh and vibrant one. Like if you think of the a military, you think of the battle that we're in, you think of a war on the ground, the, the guys on the ground are using a radio, right, to try to stay in touch with their commanding officer because he sees the bigger picture. They see where they are, and yet he sees the bigger picture. And sin is like static on that radio. Does our sin make God not love us anymore or say, I'm kicking you out, you're not mine anymore? No, it just kind of clouds up the radio. And we want to be able to hear his voice. We don't want static on the line. So it's a great thing that we have confession to do that. The second kind is thanksgiving. And I love Philippians 4 because Philippians 4 talks about whenever we come to God and we're going to talk to him, when we add thanksgiving to that, he does something so powerful that we can't even comprehend with our minds. His peace actually guards our heart and minds. It says the peace of God, which passes all of our understanding, guards our hearts and mind. Do you ever feel like you're losing your mind? Sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, I think I'm losing my mind. And I think, you know, when we come to him with thanksgiving, he does something that just guards our mind and keeps our heart. If you've been hurt or your heart's broken, thanksgiving will allow his peace to guard your heart. Well, our neighborhood has some little trails for walking. They have little sidewalks on them. And sometimes I'll walk there, and not too long ago I was walking, and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to do a lap of Thanksgiving. I think I'm just going to walk, and in my mind, I'm just going to thank God for stuff. And I thought, I hope I can think of enough stuff to get all the way around this one big lap. And as I was thanking him for things, I began to think of more things and more things. And I thought, thank you for being faithful here and through this time and getting me through. And before I know it, um, I had gone like two laps of Thanksgiving. And when, we, when we're thankful, he does amazing stuff to guard our heart. 
in our mind. And the third one is, is praise. What's the difference between thanking him and praising him? Well, the difference is that praise is telling him how good he is. Mm. Like, God, you spin all the planets. You created the world. You never leave us. You're always there for us. You, promise, you always keep your promises. That's praising him. And the fourth one is intercession. That's praying for other people. Have you ever told somebody you're going to pray for them and then you forget? You're like, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you. And then you kind of forget. Sometimes if people told you that or they text the little prayer sign, the little, the little picture or anything, I wonder if they're really praying. Sometimes I think, what if I forget to pray for these people? And I told them I would pray. One, one good thing I'm trying to do is pray for them right away. When you say, I'm going to pray for you, you just pray in your heart right there. God, please help that person. Give them all the strength that they need and take care of them. And then, you know, I just think we've all got so many people in this church, so many people you just love on. You want to know all the requests, want to pray for everybody. But honestly, it's overwhelming, isn't it? There's there's too many. I think, how could I possibly know all of those requests? And we can't. But one thing I'm trying to learn to do is when God puts somebody on your mind, like you think about somebody, pray for them. Pray for them right then. God puts people on our mind, and we can pray for them. One, some of the people I want to stand in the gap for the most is my kids. You know, some of our kids are too young to put the armor on themselves, and we can pray for them. As our kids maybe get older and they're weak or they feel powerless in their life, we can pray that armor for our kids. God, give our kids that, that belt of truth. Help them to hold on to that truth when they're hearing lies. And God, just help them to keep that shield of faith. And we can stand in the gap in that way for our kids, praying for other people. And then the last one is prayers of petition. And that's praying for ourselves. Sometimes we might tend to think, oh, I hate to come to God. He's so busy. He's spinning the planets. You know, I probably only got a certain quota of prayers. Don't want to waste them on myself. But yet God gives us this verse and I love it. It's Ephesians 3.12. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into his presence. He says, I'm your, I'm your dad. Come on in here and tell me what you need. So we can pray to him and tell him what we need. And our prayers can not only be a dangerous weapon, but can really activate that armor. And then he says, pray at all times. Pray at all times, verse 18. Now, in the early church, prayer was just a way of life. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it was, they, they were all together before the church actually started. And it said, they joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then once the church started in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You get into First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and Paul writes then, he says, listen, we need to be praying without ceasing. Now, when I first became acquainted with the thought of praying without ceasing, I, I thought to myself, that's impossible. I mean, I have a life. I have, I've got to talk to other people. I need to work. I need to sleep. I mean, Lord, how in the world am I going to pray when I'm sound asleep? But here's what I've learned about this principle. When you get into, when you get into a groove where you're inviting God into your everyday just everyday part of your life, then you can pray without ceasing. As I'm working, as I'm driving, as I'm meeting with people, as I'm watching my kids play sports and thinking about what the umpire's doing, I can think differently about that. As I'm, I'm bringing God into all of those things with me. He's in my mind. We're conversing. And I can't tell you how many times that I've actually met with someone before and they're telling me something where they just, they desperately need wisdom in their life. 
They're looking for direction. They're looking for, for something. And they're asking me, would you just, Brian, can you give me some answers? And while they're talking to me, I'm praying for them. I'm praying, God, would you give me something? Let me, help me to point them in the right direction. Just think how our lives could be different if we stayed in constant conversation with God throughout the day. Think of how your conversations would change with your, with your husband or your wife or your kids or, or how you would answer emails or how you might even post something on Facebook or even social media if, if we were in a constant state of prayer. See, if you and I are going to be, uh, we're, we're going to see prayer become a powerful force in our arsenal, then it can't be an afterthought that we put onto a day. You know, we just pray something quick in the morning or it's an afterthought on the end or just something we do, you know, you know, at the end of the week or something like that. It has to be our go-to weapon of choice. It has to be our first thought and not our last thought. Now, anybody who's serious about prayer will tell you that, that prayer is hard work. Why? Because we're at war. Satan knows how powerful prayer is, so he doesn't want you to pray at all. That's why, he is such, that's why it's such a battle for us to get into a routine of prayer. Satan doesn't want you bombarding the heavens with prayer because he knows how powerful it is and he knows that your prayers will knock him backwards. Now, I want to tell you what makes this all a little bit easier. What makes the hard work of prayer easier is the intimacy of the fellowship. That's how we begin to pray without ceasing. See, when the focus of our life is on the quality and the intimacy of my relationship with God, it just makes the work of prayer more enjoyable because you're communing with someone that you just love and you adore. It's like a great marriage. As the intimacy of the relationship grows in every circumstance or every situation, you just automatically find yourself naturally discussing things about God or with God. He becomes your first thought, not your last thought. You run to him first for counsel rather than running to every, everyone else around you and trying to get everyone else's opinion. As soon as you're hit with the temptation, I mean, you're like, I got to go to God because that's where I'm going to get my strength from. As soon as a, a sin hits your life, you're like, no, I, I can't break the fellowship. I can't break the communion. I don't want the relationship to be hindered. And so what do you do? You immediately repent in brokenness and you confess, as Amy mentioned a moment ago. So we, we still need to have time set aside for regular prayer. But our hearts need to be so in tune with God that we're just in constant communication with him, with him throughout the day. It's like this ongoing conversation all day long. So whether you're a, a stay-at-homework stay person or you work outside the house or you're a student or whatever that looks like, the Bible says pray at all times. It's a state of being. Now the next part is really a key to this whole thing. Well, the Holy Spirit is the author of all effective prayer. And the third phrase in this passage is, in the Spirit. It says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, I know some of you are probably weary, and you've been praying for the same thing for a long, long time, and you might just feel weak when it comes to prayer. So I want to read you this verse because this is awesome. It's Romans 8, 26 to 27, and it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So God living in our heart when we've trusted him is the Holy Spirit. And he talks to the Father for us. He prays on our behalf and he directs our prayers. 
Have you ever felt just numb, like you don't even know what to pray for? Maybe weary and frustrated. Maybe you've been in a state of grief and you, you, just, you just can hardly pray anymore. And you're like, God, pray for me because I don't even know what to say anymore. There have been times in my life where, where we have prayed together and just cried over things and thought, we're at the end. We don't, we don't even know what to pray for. Should we pray for this or this? I don't know. But God knows. He knows. That's so awesome. He, he can connect our hearts to the will of God. We think, well, what, what if he messes something up? Well, he's not going to mess it up because he is God and he knows the will of the Father and he knows our heart and he can pray and intercede for us. And when we allow him to do that, when we just say, I'm not even great at this. I'm not even sure what to say at this moment. But Holy Spirit, I trust you that you know what to say. That's a way we can worship him. We can trust him that he can communicate to the Father for us. Now, here's the key. It's so important that we're walking in a personal holiness, that we have this communication with God um, through the Holy Spirit to, to pray a dynamic prayer because we're walking with him. We want our lives to be lived for him. Now in Acts chapter 4, I want to tell you this quick, quick story. Peter and John had been preaching in the name of Jesus and they got in trouble for it because the religious authorities of the day came down on them and they said, now you can preach around here, but you can't talk about Jesus. And of course they said, well, we can't help it. We've got to talk about Jesus. But they were threatened and threatened and then they were released. And so Peter and John when they were released, went to their friends who were believers and said, we need you to pray with us about this. And this is so cool. Now, what they did not do was they did not start whining and complaining about the religious authorities. They didn't document the whole thing on Facebook. They didn't, you know, validate it on Instagram and all this. But their first line of defense was to go straight to prayer. So they found their believing friends and they said, we want to pray about this. But listen to how they prayed, because this is so this is so amazing. When they began to pray, they didn't start with their problem, like, God, fix all this for us. They started talking about God and how great he is. They actually quoted the Bible back to God. And they said, God, you created the heavens and you created the earth. And they're telling God all of these things. And then, this is what it says, Acts 4.29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't even say, take away our problem. They said, give us boldness, help us to be fearless. Okay, so this is the next verse and this is really awesome, Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. Now, do you ever wonder why things aren't shaking sometimes in our lives when we pray? We think we want to see marriages that are shaken back together where people fall in love again. We want to see high school and college campuses shaken with the love of God so that people are passionate to see their friends, other students come to know Christ, and addictions being shaken off of people. Hmm. Could it be that we don't pray like they prayed in Acts chapter 4? So many of our prayers are like, thank you, God, for this day, and help us have a good day tomorrow, and thank you for our food, and keep us all safe, safe, keep our kids safe, safe, safe. Like, I find myself praying that, and that's what we want, is just to be safe. 
These people were saying, God, make us bold. Make, make our kids fearless. Whatever you're doing, we want to, we want to show up. He, they're not saying, take all of our problems away. But we can trust God when we pray and say, God, help us to pray bold prayers. Help us, to, help us to be fearless. And God did that. He did amazing things and he shook the place up. Yeah, and there, listen, there's just, there is tremendous power when you link your faith in Jesus with prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. The next, number four, Paul says, pray with all perseverance. He says, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. Now, if the weapon of prayer is to be used powerfully, it has to be used persistently. Why? Because, again, we're in continual warfare. For our prayers to be effective, we can't, we can't afford to even let up for just a moment. Paul says, we have to be on alert. We have to keep praying. We have to pray, and we have to pray, and we have to pray. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he really emphasized the important and persistent prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Jesus is saying, listen, don't stop praying. Ask and then keep asking. Seek and then keep on seeking. Knock and then keep on knocking. There's a progressive order to these verbs. First we're told to ask, then we're told to seek. And seeking means, I mean, to go after something with everything that you have. Knock isn't just like this little... No, it's a pounding on the door where you are standing at, the, at God's door and just pounding. And Jesus is pretty clear here that we need to be persistent. Why? Because we're in a battle. When it, when, it, when it comes to praying in the midst of the battle, you never stop. Because, why? Because your enemy, is, he's never going to stop coming after you. He's never going to stop coming after your kids. He's never going to stop coming after the people around you that you love the most. He's never going to stop trying to take you out. And so one of the, one of the biggest lessons that Amy and I have learned over the years is, is, that, is that if, God, if, if Satan can't penetrate our marriage, he's, gonna, he's going to go after our kids. When we first moved here in 1997 to start Westridge Church, that was probably the biggest lesson that we learned. Okay, Satan is trying to, he, he was trying to nail our marriage, but he couldn't, so I'm going to go after their kids. And I'm going I'm to I'm get them that way. Why? Because he just wanted to create havoc. And he knew that if he could create havoc with our kids, he would create havoc with our lives. And so we're called to persist. But remember this. God's not like some genie in a bottle. And as Amy said a moment ago, praying in line with the Spirit aligns us with the will of God. This is not about persuading God to do what we want Him to do for us. Prayer is not about getting God to conform to us. Prayer is about conforming ourselves to God. Let me say that again. Prayer is not about getting God to conform to us. Prayer is about us conforming ourselves to God. So if I'm going to be persistent in prayer, I want to make sure that I want to do what God's will is for my life. I want to know how to pray. I want my prayers to be in line with his, his desires for my heart. See, sometimes we end up wasting a bunch of time praying a bunch of empty prayers because we're not in line with where God is wanting us to go. I remember early, early on, when we first started Westridge, you know, the church was growing quickly. We were meeting in an elementary school and we were growing out of that elementary school. And people, I, people come up to me all the time going, we need land, we need land. There's a four acre plot over here. There's eight acres over here with a mobile home on it. I'm going, I don't think that's gonna do it. And I remember early on somebody, um, one of the pastors at First Baptist Woodstock gave me just a great piece of advice. He said to me, he said, listen, don't settle for anything less than 40 acres. 
And I remember when he said that to me, I'm like, how in the world are we going to buy 40 acres? I didn't even know where there was 40 acres around here that, that was, you know, available that we could even, you know, look at. And so, and so, you know, as we began to pray, I just was kind of overwhelmed with this. And matter of fact, I did a, I did a fast, a 40-day fast in 1999. And one of the items that I prayed for was, Lord, would you just show us where this land is, is going to be? Because I wanted to know you know, kind of where to focus our attention. Is it South Paulding? Is it up here in this area? We actually looked at a piece of property on the south side of 278. I remember one on the, on the corner of 92 and Ridge Road, taking a piece of wood and driving a stake into the land and laying face down and going, Lord, I claim this land in the name of Jesus. And as you know, we're not there now. Um, we actually had a contract on a piece of property over here on, on 92 and 120. And Within, and we had a contract, we had an agreement with the seller, and someone else bought it the next day. And we found out, I mean, it was like, what in the world is going on? And so I, during my 40-day fast, I was over here on this property across the street, which, by the way, had been promised to us. And there's like 42 acres over there. And I was like, Lord, please, just show me where the land is. Show me where the land is. And every single day as I was praying, I would walk back to my truck and get in my truck and I drive back to the office, you know, for 38 of those 40 days. And then in 2003, believe it or not, I was out there on that piece of property with someone else looking at the property. And I get a call from someone who's a real estate agent in our church. And he said, I think I just found our property. And he described where the location was. He says, can you meet me over there? And I start walking up the road to get in my truck. And I'm realizing all of a sudden I go back to 1999. God had been showing me that property every, as I was walking up the road, I was looking at what would eventually become the entrance of Westridge Church. You see, God was saving me. He was saving me from making a bad decision. He was wanting me to be in his timing, with his will, not to jump ahead of him. Why? Because he knew that he had something better for us, which is where we're sitting here today. See, we need to be persistent in prayer, but we need to ask God to line our prayers up with his will and to be willing to wait on him in his timing. Why? Because he wants what's best for us. And we've got to be willing to do that. Then he says in number five, he says, we need to be praying for all believers with all perseverance and all petition for all the saints. Paul is calling us to intercede for each other. I, I heard Charles Stanley say several years ago, he said, praying for someone else is the most powerful thing you can do for them. And I believe that with all my heart. I have this little black book that I carry around. And it's just a little book about this big. On one side, I write my to-do list every day. On the other side, I just write prayer requests. And I just write, if people ask me to pray for them, I'll just write their name in so I won't forget to pray for them. We have an incredible privilege to stand in the gap for someone and to pray for them. Through prayer, we have, we have the opportunity to impact someone's life for Christ. We can bring encouragement to someone. We can pray protection away from Satan. This coming Thursday, from 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock the next morning on Friday morning, we're going to be having 24 hours of prayer here at Westridge Church. And we're encouraging you to come here throughout the day, in, throughout the evening, through the middle of, in the, into the morning time, and just choose an hour and say, three o'clock in the morning, I'll be praying at Westridge. Four o'clock in the morning, I'll be praying at Westridge. Whatever hour you can be here. Why? Because we want to cover this campus with prayer. Because next weekend is Easter. And we're asking God to bring 10,000 people here. I'm praying for over 100 salvations next weekend. But I want, I want the presence of God to be so strong here 
that when people drive onto this campus that they sense that there's just something different about this place. And I'm asking you to just to bring your friends with you who need to hear the gospel, who need, to, who need their lives to be changed, people that are hurting, maybe Christians that have been hurt and are falling away from, you know, from some place. Maybe they just needed to hear the gospel again to remind them of who they are in Christ and the power that lives inside of them. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, I, I love this. Paul says, pray also for me, that for whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may... Uh, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. In verse 19, Paul, he says, he calls calls on the people of Ephesus. He says, pray for me so that when I open my mouth, that the words that I speak, I'll speak, I'll be fearless in my conversation. I want to just be selfish for for a moment. I I would ask that you would pray for me for next weekend. You'd pray for Paul Richardson as he talks on Good Friday uh, that, that he would just be fearless in the way that he communicates. That you'd pray for me as I speak through the weekend and Easter that I'd be bold and fearless. We have the Elephant in the Church series coming up. We're going to tackle some tough issues. And I pray that I will preach with boldness and I'll be fearless and I'll, I'll, hold, I'll stand on the word of God. See, the reason we're to pray for each other is because we're all involved in this battle together. And we need each other. And when we pray for each other, we get involved in the same ministry that Jesus is involved in today. What is Jesus doing right now? The Bible tells us he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on our behalf. He's speaking on your behalf. He's saying, Father, let me tell you about so-and-so. Let me tell you about the fact that they trusted me. The Bible calls him our advocate. Now, why in the world would we need an advocate? That's a lawyer term. It's a legal term. Well, because... Satan's our accuser. And he is also accusing. He's doing something 24-7 as well. He's accusing you before God. Satan is trash-talking about you in front of God right now. He's the ultimate trash-talker. He's the ultimate gossiper. Matter of fact, when we badmouth another Christian, we enter into the ministry of Satan. We, we, when we gossip about them, accuse them of something, we enter, enter, enter into this ministry of Satan. And, and there's some folks that I know who are in full-time ministry right now. Listen, we have been called to pray for each other, to bring people before the Father. In closing, John Piper in his book, Desiring God, he writes this. He says, unless I'm badly mistaken... One of the reasons so many, so many of God's children don't have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. And I want to challenge you this morning to really think about your prayer life. Think about it in this way. Lord, this is, this is the most important weapon I have, so I'm going to be organized about it. I'm going to be strategic about this amazing weapon that you have put in my possession. Listen, we're in a battle. We need to know about our weapons. We need to know how to use them. We need to be familiar with the schemes of our, of our enemy. We need to know where we're vulnerable. We need to know when we're vulnerable. And we really need to begin to understand and use this ultimate weapon that we possess called prayer. If we're ever going to make it through this war together, we have to pray. If we're ever going to have, be able to use the authority that we have in Christ, we have to pray. How do you get dressed for the battle? How do you really put on the armor of God? You pray it on. You put it on through prayer. That's the ultimate weapon. And if there was ever a time where the church 
the church in the United States, the church in the, uh, all over the world, the church of Jesus Christ. The, the, if there was ever a time as a nation that God's people needed to pray, it is right now. Listen, Satan is not afraid of you. He is not afraid of your words, but he shudders at our prayers, especially when they are ignited by the Holy Spirit.